As we begin uh, this series of sermons, looking at the prophecies found in the book of Isaiah and talking about the hope uh, that we have. And, and hope is an interesting word. Many people have different hopes at this time of year, don't we? I mean, some folks are hoping for the perfect Christmas, right? Uh, you'll, the perfectly decorated tree with the presents around the table. Uh, some folks are hoping for that big family get-together where folks gather around the table and share a time together. You, ha- you have those hopes. You, you have hopes of, of maybe uh, that car with a bow on it in your front yard with, with wonderful glittery music that, uh, that is happening uh, and the perfect gifts uh, that are, are given. And some folks are, are hoping for the perfect amount of snow. And for me, that's zero for, for Christmas. You remember, I'm from Alabama, but I know some people like to have the snow up here. I get, I get that. We, we have lots of hopes at this season, right? Some folks are hoping just for another sober day. Some folks are hoping for a neighborhood that's free from the sound of gunfire. Some folks are hoping for a wayward child to maybe come home for Christmas. Some folks are hoping that they'll have a meal. It's interesting, isn't it, our different hopes and our different perspectives. And Advent is a time where we emphasize these hopes that have been made real in Jesus, but that we still anticipate to be made fully real when Christ returns. For an Advent is a time of looking back and what Jesus has done and is doing and what will happen one day. We see uh, this anticipatory hope in in Paul's writing in in the church to Rome in the 8th chapter where he says, all of creation is like a woman in labor waiting for the children of God to be revealed, waiting for something to happen that will occur but has not yet been revealed. It's something that we anticipate as we look at the book of Revelation there in in, in the last chapters where God will dwell with us and every tear will be wiped away and death will be no more. For you see, as we talk about hope here at the Advent season, what we are saying is this. We are catching a glimpse of God's dream for what he wants to happen, that he has hope will happen from the beginning of time. For you see, these hopes aren't just about our individual peace and prosperity and our own joy, but it's a transformation of all of reality and all of creation. And in Advent, we are catching a glimpse of what Jesus wants the world to look like. At Advent, we are taking time to try to see through Jesus' eyes what he longs the world to become of his hope. Hope based back from the beginning of time, a seed of it planted when he came here on earth. And we who are followers of Christ are a fragrance of that seed being, being brought forth from the earth. But we are the first fruits of this hope. And at Advent, we are trying to gain a glimpse of what Jesus longs for us to see.
Reverend Kenyon Kelsey tells a, a story coming out of World War II. It was in 1941, and, and the Nazis in, had invaded uh, Russia, and they laid siege to what today is called St. Petersburg, but back then it was Leningrad, and this siege lasted for 900 days, 900 days, for over three years, and during that siege, the Nazis tried to starve out the people. They bombed the city. They, they tried to destroy all the infrastructure that is there, kind of like what's going now, on now in Ukraine. And there's a beautiful museum that has been on my bucket list to visit because it houses the painting that has meant so much to me. It's Rembrandt's Return of the Prodigal. And the Nazis started to bomb and blow, uh, blow holes in this beautiful Hermitage Museum. So they took out all the priceless works of art, all the Rubens and the Rembrandts, all the Michelangelo statues, emptied the place. And as the shells were coming down and making holes in, into this beautiful building, Russian soldiers were called in to sweep away the snow and clean up the glass. And in an appreciation for what they were doing, a curator of that beautiful museum Pavlov Duchesky took the soldiers around into these rooms that were now empty and he explained in this room was this Rembrandt. In this room uh, there was this picture by Rubens. In this picture was a statue by Raphael. And because of his beautiful portrait and his beautiful words, they were able to see through his eyes what that museum was and what it would be again. That's exactly what we're doing this Advent season. We are trying to paint pictures for you through the words of Isaiah, which I'll read in just a moment, what Jesus longs for us to see, what it was what we can make happen as the fragrance of our lives in Christ blooms forth and what will become. This is God's dream and hope for humanity. Here now, the word of the Lord is found through the prophet Isaiah, the second chapter. Isaiah writes, In the days that come, the mountains of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of all mountains, and shall be raised up above all the hills, and all the nations shall stream to it. Many persons shall come and say, Come, let us go to the mountain of the Lord, the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways, that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem shall judge between the nations, and he shall attribute for many peoples, for they shall beat their swords into plowshares their spears and pruning hooks. And nation will not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war any more. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. The prophet Isaiah is what we call one of the 8th century prophets. He wrote uh, during a time at beginning in the time of Uzziah the king. And then he prophesied, for we know, for the kings uh, that would, would follow after Uzziah, Ahaz, and uh, jo- Jehoshaphat, and Manasseh, the terrible. And then some will say that he 
continue to live on and through uh, the uh, ways there for Hezekiah too, that he would go on for further generations and he would be there for the exile and, and he would prophesy about their return. And some folks say that was maybe somebody that was one of his followers that, that was one of those, uh, pro- that wrote some of those prophecies. We, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that God was speaking through this man or these men giving a vision of what God longs for for not only the people of Israel, but for everyone. For you see, he was bringing to them words, yes, that were warning if they don't change what would happen. But he said, but look what will happen if you do. Look at the blessings that are going to come your way. Look at what God wants to long to do in your midst. Look at the conflicts that God wants to resolve in your lives, your nation, and in your hearts. So the first thing he says is that uh, this mountain of Jerusalem is going to be the greatest among mountains. And, and the people back then, when they, they read that and heard that, they, they had to laugh a little bit because, yeah, Jerusalem's up on a hill, but it's nothing compared to the hillsides that were nearby, the, the, the city of Samaria or, or the city of Tyre or even the Canaanite shrines around there. They were far greater than Jerusalem. But what he is saying is that the ways of God will be greater than everything else. And all people will be drawn to that. This is a common theme in the Old Testament. Psalm 102 talks about all the people coming uh, to the Mount of Zion. Uh, Zephaniah talks about people of many languages coming to the temple of the Lord. And Zechariah talks about folks from the nations coming to the house of the Lord. Now, we could literally interpret that, interpret that this has actually happened here and now. This past year, 3.5 million people from all over the world came on pilgrimage to Israel, to Jerusalem. And I encourage you, if you can, one day to, to do that. But I believe it's far more than just people going on pilgrimage. It's a fact that because of what God will do, Isaiah says, and has done through the coming of this child Jesus, all the nations will come. And we see that happening on this very day. Starting in, in Fiji and Tonga and places like that, people coming uh, in their tavalas and t- t- uh, grass skirts, coming to, to churches that were built by those first missionaries in those islands, and then going to Korea, where the world's largest church is, and, and spreading to China, where there are over 100 million Christians, and to India, where the church is booming. And to places like war-torn Ukraine and Russia where they are both worshiping. And to Europe where Christianity is on the wane. And to Africa where the church is booming. And then here this place, we are a small representation of what is happening right now. People of all tribes, all nations, all places coming to worship. Because what Christ has done. I love the portrait that I've seen of Jesus standing with his arms outstretched and people in sombreros and people wearing traditional Asian garb, people in suits, people in hard hats, men, women of all colors, all, ra- all nations coming to Christ. And in some ways, that word of Isaiah is being fulfilled right now, but we know there's a not yet to that. 
for the people of God are divided, are we not? 38,000 denominations shows that we are not all living out this prophecy and fulfilling the words of Jesus who said in John 17, let them be one. Why? So that the world will know that you sent me. So we are all being drawn, but we're still so divided. But one day, one day, all those things that we think are so important that keep us apart, they're going to fall at the feet of Jesus. At the feet of Jesus. For you see, Isaiah says this. He says, they will come and they will learn of the law. They will learn of my word and they will learn to be my people once again as they fulfilled these things that have been written from the prophets by Moses. And as we live those things out, Isaiah says, well, then all these divisions will be, be taken from us. But as Isaiah is also foretelling that the word, Jesus, has come, will come and has come. And Jesus says this, as I am lifted up, I'll draw all people to, unto myself. As I draw all people to myself, as you, my people, lift up my name and bring people to know who I am, then the hurts of the world can be healed. The question is, are we showing people the way to Jesus? There's a story that's gone around. You may have seen it. It's about a young girl named Jana, and she was in her little school Christmas play. And she was all excited because she was saying to her mom and dad, I got the most important part. I got the most important part. And they said, what part are you? She said, I'm the star. And so the play started, and they had dressed her up in a little star costume. And out came Mary and Joseph, and she uh, went and was stood above where they were. And then when the shepherds began to come to them, she began to shiver and, and shimmy so that she was like she was sparkling so that they could see the light of the star. And then when the wise men came in, she ran over to them, and she marched them to the baby Jesus so that they could worship. And they had the punch and cookies like they do at these school plays afterwards, and as she sat in the car, and she said again to her mom and daddy, he said, didn't you see I was the most important part there in the play? And the mom and daddy said, well, maybe it was Mary and Joseph, you know. But they said, okay, hon, why do you think that you're the most important part in the play? And out of the mouth of babes, she said, because I led people to Jesus. I led people to Jesus, the one who we say is the word made flesh. The one who created everything. She led people to Jesus. The question that comes down to each of us in this time, in this place, as we are trying to bring people to hope is, who are we leading to Jesus? Who are we asking to come and kneel before this one who came to be one of us so that we could be like him? It's good to see so many folks here really is. And I know folks are tuning in online. 
But it's still true that at this season of the year, unlike any other, folks are open to the invitation for you to bring somebody to Jesus. Yeah, maybe in this place. That'd be wonderful. But help them find Jesus somehow. Help them find Jesus. For this word needs to be made known. We need to be like that little girl, Jana, shining and shimmering so that people will come. Because you see, my friends, the dream that God has for this world, the hope that he has for this world and for us is that this world will know his peace. And until we, we, the ones who bear the fragrance of this Jesus that was planted into the world, unless we start sharing, what hope does the world have? What hope does the world have? For you see, we live in a war-torn world, don't we? Here's, here's Isaiah sharing. This is God's vision, that swords are going to be beaten into plowed shares, that spears are going to be made into pruning hooks, that nations will not study war anymore, that people will no longer be fighting. How are we living that out? For you see, my friends, the natural inclination of humanity is war. A study was done that since the year 3600 B.C., that's well over 5,000 years, there's, in the total time frame of that 5,000-year period, there's only been 292 years of relative peace. You hear that? In that time frame, there have been over 14,000 major conflicts, taking the lies, conservative estimate, of over 3.6 billion people, with the wealth of the nations equaling a gold belt 97 miles wide and 33 stories high that would wrap around the earth. That is our nature. When I was in the military, we were encouraged to go get our master's degree. And the program that a lot of my, my compadres were taking was the history of warfare. And so when I uh, entered into the class, I, we asked, why, why have a study of history of warfare? And the professor said this. He said, because when we study the history of warfare, we are learning about the history of humanity because that's what we've done the most. Wow. And we know that in our day and time. It just... Open up your phone and look what's going on in Ukraine, the warfare that's going on there. There's conflicts happening all over the world we don't realize. If you go to a map uh, and look at nations in war, about a third of Africa is at warfare right now, either civil conflict, religious conflict, or tribal conflict. We don't think of this as a war because, well, it's not a country fighting against a country, but in the last uh, eight years... 300 and some thousand people have been killed in Mexico because of the drug wars going on there, fueled by our nation's addiction to those drugs. In our own country, we've had 602 mass shootings this year, where four more people have lost their lives. And in our country, as we ask this question about beating swords into plowshares, 40%, 42% of the world's guns are owned by Americans with only 4% of the population. 
What does it mean for us then to beat swords into plowshares, spears into pruning hooks? It's a question that the Lord asks of us, for it's his hope that the conflicts will end. Warfare will be no more. And we have to ask ourselves, we follow the one who is known as the Prince of Peace. And he said this, blessed are the peacemakers. Why? Anyone know? Because they'll be called children of God. What did Paul say in Romans? All of creation is longing, groaning for the revelation of the children of God. And maybe that happens when we, the children of God, the followers of this one who came, become peacemakers. The old song that was sung back in the 60s during the Vietnam War, let there be peace on earth. And where does it start? Let it begin in me. So we got to ask ourselves, is there any warfare or conflict in our own lives? Because it's hard to be a peacemaker when we are fighting one another. We're fighting within our souls, fighting our family members. As it says in 1 John, how can we say we love God and hate our brother? So we got to be peacemakers ourselves. You know, I'm from Alabama, and I see my brother here with a Crimson Tide shirt on after the Auburn-Alabama game yesterday, but I love William. (laughs) I do. But I had a conflict with a friend in a church that I served a long, long time down there. Uh, He took a position that I was totally against. That church asked me to write a letter uh, to uh, help move the church forward in a, a path that I thought was well, I'm more graceful direction. I'll just put it that way. And he was part of a letter writing campaign that was just the opposite of that. I, and I received word of that. And, and I, I was angry. I was disappointed. But I pray for this man on a regular basis. And I said, we can't let this divide us and keep us from being friends. So driving down to the airport to go to Alabama, where the weather was not warm, by the way. We talked, and we agreed that, yeah, we may disagree. Our friendship, our our relationship with Christ is far more important. Is there that person in your life? Is there that person that you maybe need to not be in conflict with? Because, my friends, if there's spears and swords and guns in your own heart against somebody else, no matter what the issue might be, then how can we be a peacemaker? Jesus said this, pray for your enemies. Are we doing that? Someone we disagree with, someone whose political allegiance is far different than us, someone who, who may offend us, we're praying for them. And something I've had to do, y'all. Remember, I'm an old cold warrior here. You know, when, I, when this stuff started happening in Russia, I mean, I was just, yeah, you know, get, go get them, Ukraine. But I've had to pray. And so every time I see something in the news where a 
there's a Russian soldier that's been killed or an aircraft down or a tank that's been blown up. God's lead me, led me to pray for that soldier who probably was conscripted and didn't want to be in that hellhole. Pray for him or her family because I've got to have that peace in my heart to be a peacemaker. And so do all of us. For God is calling us right now to help inaugurate into this world his dream, his hope for all humanity. So we got to be what Jesus calls us to become, his children, and that's revealed as we make peace and turn implements of fighting and hatred and strife into things that bring a harvest of love and joy. There's a long civil war that took place in the country of Liberia. 17 years of fighting. Many thousands of people were killed. And there's a story that was in Guidepost magazine not too, well, several years ago about a fellow named George Tobago who saw in his church the opposition come in and kill many of his family members, including his mother. And so he he was conscripted into the opposing force, and he said, I didn't want to be a soldier, but for a while he fought. And the war finally came to an end. He said, we've got to find ways to make peace. So there was spent cartridges all over the place, the brass shells from the fighting. And he and others began to take those spent bullets and mold them and make them into signs and symbols of peace. The cross. And so everywhere they went, they, they tried to help people see that the way of Christ is not the way of warfare. And that's what we are all called to do, isn't it? To take those things that can be used hurt others, to degrade others, and to transform them. That's what God has done for us. Taking the most awful way of, of death, the cross, and turned it from a symbol of death to a symbol of hope. And how do we do this in our lives, in the world? One small act of caring every day one small act of compassion every day one small act of peacemaking in our hearts in our homes our community in the world every day and as we do those things my friends well the world becomes more what God dreams it to be and we live out God's hope for our lives and for this world there's an old African-American spiritual, you might maybe know it, called Lay Down My Burden. You all maybe have heard that. And they talked about, you know, I'm going to lay down my burden down by the riverside, down by the riverside. I'm going to lay down my burden down by the riverside. And lots of times we think, okay, what's that burden? It may be some worry, some fear. You may be actually um, carrying some stuff around. But the chorus goes this way, because I ain't going to study war no more gonna study war no more. Ain't gonna study war no more. And so whatever burden they were bearing, some hatred, some 
some things in their lives that were separating them from one from another, some bitterness, some, some revenge they were seeking. He said, we lay it down because we want to fulfill God's dream. There ain't no more war. May that be so as we live out God's dream and hope for our world, for our lives. Amen, amen, amen. Let's pray. God, we gain a glimpse of your dream, your hope for all the world as we see your servant Isaiah who so long ago wrote, there's going to be time when there will be no more spears, but every, those implements of war will be made into implements of bringing a harvest of bounty home. There will be no more spears, but they will help bring in the bounty of my harvest of love and righteousness. And Lord, we know that in many ways Christ has come to enable us to make that dream a reality, but we know, Lord, as we hear of the shootings, we hear the distant rumblings of gunfire in neighborhoods in our country and, and the streets and the byways and highways of Ukraine and other war-torn nations. Lord, we know that dream is not yet a reality. So, Lord, help us show the world that we are your children by being makers of peace. And let that peace begin in our hearts, in our homes, and spread through our church, the community, to the state, a nation that's so divided, maybe, Lord, around the world. Help us, Lord, to work to end division and hostility and hatred, to make your dream for this world come true. We ask all this in the name of the Prince of Peace, Jesus. Amen, amen, and amen. Let us stand and worship.